I was going to go even deeper into this spiral or I was going to just try and get up and get on with something. Welcome to Precarious Parenting, the podcast series for people feeling overwhelmed by family life in general. Do you often wonder whether you're doing it right? Or do you wonder whether it's okay to be just a good enough parent? My name is Marie Arimar, founder of Realization Works, guiding young people and parents back to clearer thinking. And this podcast series provides the opportunity to hear real people sharing real stories about how they manage to see beyond their overwhelm. Welcome to this recording of Precarious Parenting, and I'm talking to my friend Cassie, who I've known for five years. Um, Cassie has an incredibly complex story, and really, we've been talking about how this could be three or four episodes, and we're going to do it in one. So I'm going to start off by welcoming you, Cassie, and asking you if you can just give me uh, a a rough description of what, what you're doing in your life right now. Hi, so I'm a veterinary nurse at a busy hospital. I've been qualified for around 17 months, um, living in Exeter now. And I've got an eight-year-old dog who's a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't possibly comment. (laughs) So, so Cassie, this is really, um, we've just been talking about how this is quite complicated in itself. But I'm going to ask you if you would give me a brief history of your life up until the time that you found you were pregnant okay um so from sort of birth to around five I lived with my mum um in sort of various different places we moved around quite a lot um and then I moved in with my grandparents um after five um until I think it was probably around sort of seven or eight and then moved back with my dad until I moved out for good as an adult. Thank you. And why why were you moving from family household to household? Would you be happy to say? Yeah, so my mum was um, into a lot of drugs. She was drinking. She had um, unsavoury boyfriends, shall we say. Um, and I was moved by social services to my grandparents. Right, thanks. And then... We we pick up your story when you were 15. Yes. And I think you went to a party. I did, yes. So um, it was at a time of my life where I was a, a little bit wild, should we say. Um, I went to um, a party and with some friends that were a bit older, um, skipped a lot of school, didn't really apply myself very hard. Um, and, yeah, I was 15 in this is about the January of 06 and I was raped at a party and then you found out that you were pregnant as a circumstance of that rape yes and how what what happened then how did you find that because that's a story too isn't it how you at what point you found out you were pregnant Yeah, um, I didn't find out until the April of that year. So I just turned 16 by that time. um, And I just kind of didn't really think much of it. I was quite tired, didn't feel very well, was being sick and kind of just not really making the connection between the two. Um, And I went to the doctor and basically she asked me if I was pregnant and I was like, oh, no, 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 that can't be true. 
and then kind of had the moment where I went, oh, actually, there is a chance and kind of went from there. But the doctor confirmed then. And what happened for you realizing that you were pregnant? How did you deal with that in yourself? Um, so since the rape, I'd kind of already turned my life around a bit. I was trying a bit harder. I wasn't hanging around with these people. Um, and I kind of then, after I found out, I kind of buried my head in the sand, pretending it wasn't happening and, and just carried on sort of trying a bit harder at school and sort of working out what I wanted to do because it was the time where I'd started to have to choose what college I wanted to go to or whether I wanted to do that at all and focused on that really. So you were at a point where you so young on your own realized you were pregnant or or the reality of being pregnant had dawned but you were kind of in denial is that yeah is that fair? Yeah that's fair. And so then what happened? Um I sort of carried on I um yeah I didn't really have any support but I wasn't kind of taking any notice anyway mm. so it kind of didn't really matter to me my dad and my stepmom who was also pregnant at the time with my brother um so they were kind of focused on themselves and I kind of slipped into the background of just denial and focusing on what I wanted to do right right and and then and then I remember that a lady came into your life offering you support. Yeah, so it was a family friend who was obviously a lot older than me. Um, It was now September, mid to late September. Um, I had started college and just wasn't very coping very well. Um, And she kind of asked me what was wrong. And I denied it for a couple of days and was like no no nothing's wrong I'm just stressed about starting college and you know meeting this whole new circle of friends that I didn't know anything about um until she kind of kept on asking me until the point where I couldn't really deny that something was happening and kind of broke down and explained everything to her um and said you know I'm not sure what I want to do I don't know what to do um and she kind of supported me and so how far how far gone were you through your pregnancy at this point um I was nearly seven months okay and so did you move in with her at that point not at that point no so um we discussed my options I stayed at house just a few nights on and off during the week um and it wasn't until the end of October that I moved in with her because the due date was getting really close um, by like a few days (laughs) so I moved in with her decided that I was going to adopt and in the time before between September and October I had met with prospective adoptive parents and chosen people that I'd liked. Wow I mean that's that in itself is an episode (laughs) so so you were a 16 year old coping with the fact that you were pregnant from the circumstance of a, of a rape. Uh, you had minimal support, but you had decided that the right thing for your baby was to offer your baby for adoption. And so then you went ahead and you contacted those agencies and you started those conversations to find parents. Yeah. I mean, the, the strength and courage that I I 
I hear it is just incredible. So what was going on for you? Were you, were you just focused on your, your, your child or were you, you know, what, what was actually going through your mind at that point? At that point, I was terrified. I didn't know sort of what to do. I knew I kind of wanted to keep the baby, but I was in absolutely no circumstances to do that. I wasn't fit to become a mum. So I decided that I had to do what was right, not for me, but for the baby. It needed to have somewhere that was loved, able to be looked after. And at that time, that wasn't me. Gosh, that's, that's, um, there's such strength. I can't think of another word, but there's such strength in that, in, in that decision making and love. Gosh, such love. So you, so you made that decision. You chose, you chose the adoptive parents and, and what happened then in, in your story with your baby? So I moved in with my friend and we sort of, I carried on going to college up until the day before and I gave birth to her on the 1st of November mm. it was a few days late mm. and the and the and how did it work out with the with the adoptive parents how how did your relationship with them start to unfold so the husband was very anti me he didn't really want anything to do with me he just assumed that I was a stupid girl who had got herself into this state and was being forced to put her up for adoption but the the foster mum the adoptive mum Danielle she was lovely um you know we kept in contact very loosely um so I'd had her we stayed she stayed in hospital with me for two days just about and then Joe and Danielle came and took her away then right and so there was this it wasn't a cut and dried no contact it, it, it was open there was a there was there was the opportunity for communication with you and Jasmine, the, the baby. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And is that usual? Is that I is that what normally happens with adoptive situations? I'm not sure. I think it kind of depends on the circumstances. Um I didn't want there to be any contact. Um but Danielle did and so she kind of went behind Joe's back and emailed me once, twice a year, just some photos, a little update of what she'd been up to, you know, how she was progressing with sort of learning new milestones and steps and just sending me little little bits of information. Right. So it was it was really um it was limited contact and the contact you had was via Danielle sharing pictures and stories that's how you were staying in contact but then I I know that the story developed even further and your relationship with Danielle and your baby Jasmine blossomed even more so can you share that yeah so when Jasmine was I think two two and a half so Joe left Danielle for somebody else um, and that meant that Danielle had more reign to say that actually she wanted me to be a little bit more involved. And she emailed me and said, you know, Joe's not in the picture. He was the one who made all the decisions. She wanted us to have the opportunity to at least meet once and see what we wanted to do from then. Um, I said no initially for at least probably um eight, 10 months, I was just like, no, that's not going to happen. I don't want to 
Um, why, were, why were you saying no? I just thought it would be really difficult. Um, I didn't think it was healthy at that time to have an involvement in a child that I gave up. Right, so unhealthy for you? For me, yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so you're kind looking of, out for your own well-being as much as the babies. Yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. I didn't want to be a person that came into her life and then suddenly left again. So how did it evol- uh, evolve after that? So did you, you, you went and you met? Yes, so I gave in and I said, fine, we'll, we'll meet up, we'll go to the park, we'll go for a walk, have a coffee, um, kind of made arrangements based on what we could do. And I initially met up with just Danielle and had a chat about what she wanted, about what I wanted, and kind of made a plan from there. Um, she convinced me that it would be a really good idea to just see her once, see how it went. There was no pressure. There was no, you have to be involved or you don't have to be involved. See what develops, really. And how old was Jasmine at this point? She would have been um, nearly four. And and how did and how did that evolve? Um, I was surprised. It was really good fun. It was nice to see. You know, she was developing really well. She was happy. She had loads of friends at nursery and was just getting on really well. And you and Danielle were also um, becoming closer as friends too. Yeah. Yeah, we moved from email to speaking over the phone and just having a bit more contact sort of weekly rather than twice a year. Mm-hmm. And then... Eventually, uh, the relationship moved on to the fact that you were going to become much more heavily involved in Jasmine's life. Yeah. And you were going to, actually, there was discussion about actually um, guardianship or shared guardianship or, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, so it developed over a space of probably nine or ten months where I would come up near near enough every week and take Jasmine out or we'd go out as a three and do something go to the park go to the beach you know something fun and I was actually on my own with her with Jasmine um on a picnic and she just said to me casually as kids do she was starting to notice things that were different between her and her friends so she said to me um why why don't I look like mummy why do I look like you you've got yellow hair I've got yellow hair mummy's got brown hair that's different and my friends have got similar you know same hair color as their mummies and I was like oh okay um so we kind of changed the subject quite rapidly and occupied her on the picnic took her home and after she'd gone to bed that night I'd sat down and said to Danielle that this had happened and I didn't know what to do, so I kind of changed the subject and brought her home. And we discussed what the options were, what we could do, whether we could sort of tell her the truth, whether we should just continue to deny it for a bit younger, a bit longer, whether she was just too young to have that information put on her. And in the end, you just did you decide to tell her or? Um, so I 
left it up to Danielle because as far as I'm concerned, she was her mum and that was not my decision to make or to be involved in at all. So the conversation left as, you know, I think you should do what you think is right and I'm going to stay out of that bit. Um, and then for the next couple of days, um, Danielle told Jasmine the truth. And then, so did you then have that conversation with Jasmine or, or did you and um, Danielle talk about how that might move forward now that she knew? Yeah, so I came over a couple of days after Jasmine had found out or had been told by Danielle. And we kind of sat down and said, you know, look, in the gentlest way we could, that we did what was right at the time. And that was, we didn't really have much more of a conversation about it. And so it was really lovely because more and more you were becoming more involved in Jasmine's life. She was, you were very familiar to her. You were going out maybe like an aunt, like a really active aunt. She used to call me Auntie Cassie. Wow. So that you, so your relationship with Danielle was strong. Your relationship with Jasmine was strong and you were really being able to be part of her life and, and celebrating being part of her life. And then this story took a really, really difficult turn. Yeah. Do I so, say this or do you say it? Um, I will. It's, I will. So we had progressed into, uh, Jasmine had taken it upon herself to start calling me mummy uh, as well as Danielle. And we were kind of fine with that. And then the topic arose of Danielle suggesting that I should have more of an involvement, as in becoming her guardian and possibly the fact that she could live with me. It was becoming a bit difficult at home for Danielle. Jasmine was being a bit rebellious, saying that she didn't have to listen. They weren't getting on very well. So we had taken the decision to that I was going to move to Exeter and I was going to take back formerly legal guardianship of Jasmine mm-hmm. and would kind of raise her together. You know, she still had two mums that loved her. The circumstances were different, but um, we decided that we would go from there really and see how it got on. Mm-hmm. So I bought a house, I moved and then... Unfortunately, a month after Jasmine's fifth birthday, she um, passed away. Which is such a such a shock to this story, and I'm and and I'm really grateful to you for being on this episode with me because I know how difficult this is for you. And it was actually due to um, uh, an unknown heart condition. I think is the yeah. reason why she passed away. And for you at that point, you know, you're, the bottom of your world fell out, you told me once. Yeah. So, so what happened for you then? What point were you at in your life? And, and you know, what, how, how did you manage to, to deal with that? How did you actually move forward? So for a while, I didn't. I sold the house. I moved back to Kingsbridge. I um, I kind of didn't cope for a long time. I was really depressed. I was suicidal at some points. Um, and then I just kind of 
I blame myself for everything. I felt really ashamed of what happened. I sort of buried my head about the fact that it had happened for a while. I tried to get on, but wasn't getting on very well with anything, jobs, and was really unhappy. And I know that you also have, you had, and you still have some underlying you know, major health issues yourself, which I know we've decided aren't really part of this story. But while you were coping with the loss of your child, you were also dealing with some quite major health issues. Yeah, um, so I have lung conditions, which are quite serious that affect my liver as well. Um, So dealing with that on top of everything else. For a while, it kind of spiraled, but I focused, I decided that I wanted to focus on something. And I'd always wanted to be a vet nurse. And I decided that that would be a great thing to do, to try and piece my life back together. Um, so I did some night classes to redo some GCSEs and then went to a college to start studying vet nursing. And when did you qualify? 17 months ago. Well, congratulations. So it's it's... I mean, we, we've sort of just glossed over um, some things where you've hinted at, at how dark your days were. But I always saw in you a strength of character, which I know you didn't see in yeah. yourself. And I saw uh, aspirations and ambition for you to be able to hold your head up high, whether that be through being a veterinary nurse or whether that being you being Cassie, you know, a young woman who's reclaiming her life. So one of the reasons why I really wanted to invite you to on a on a podcast episode was because of the absolute resilience that I've I've seen in you and the and the way that you've you've managed to get yourself up, up out of bed and, and doing something. Can you, can you share how you did that with me? Um, I kind of thought it was sink or swim, really. I was going to go even deeper into this spiral or I was going to just try and get up and get on with something. So I threw myself into studying. I forced myself to get up every day to participate in activities that I didn't necessarily need to do but I could do just to focus my mind on something that wasn't you know the loss of jasmine or health related concerns something that was different but to get me outside and not necessarily to get me into it being in a group of friends or people but something I could just go off on my own I could do I could have that time where it was peaceful So I threw myself into my studies to become a vet nurse and to getting up and going to work in general, as well as doing things like um, going and doing a bat survey, you know, on my own, really late at night or early in the morning. But it was just something that was different that wasn't part of my everyday routine of getting up, going to work and focusing on something that was interesting to me. Um, Also doing sort of butterfly counts and habitat studies and just getting up and doing something different and and that's what's always amazed me about you I just you are resilience personified as far as I'm concerned um 
I know that you are still friends with um, Danielle. I know it's been difficult, but you you did end up being able to communicate and pick up some semblance. It's not the same, I know, but some semblance of communication again, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. We. Um, it was. It took a while, and I started just writing her a letter saying that you know it would be nice to see her but I didn't want to talk about Jasmine or have a conversation based around that because I wasn't ready um and she was fine you know we met up in places that were different because I didn't really want to go to the house so we went for coffee we went for a walk you know I brought the dog along and we just had a stroll along the beach and talked about things that weren't really anything but just life things. What have you been doing since I saw you? You know, slowly it did lead on to talking about Jasmine. And we kind of had one night over a bottle of wine where it was, it was quite sad and we both cried and we both talked and spent most of the night just talking about the way we wish things were different, um, how it could have been and basically what happened it was after Jasmine's death, we both kind of cut contact very rapidly, went in different directions, didn't really have anything to do with each other for quite a while. Yeah. So as we come to the end of our 30 minutes, and we knew it wouldn't be enough, <laughs> what would be your message to anybody who maybe has suffered a similar loss? Or, you know, what would be your message to other people out there who might be listening? Um, don't blame yourself. It's nothing you've done wrong. It's nothing you can change. And there's no reason to be ashamed. I went through a really long period of being really ashamed of it, blaming myself. And that took a long time for me to realize that it wasn't necessary. Find somebody that you can trust and you can talk to about it, but no judgment, just talk and find a way to get through those feelings. And just keep going. Keep finding something to distract yourself. Oh, wise words indeed. Cassie, you are a star. Thank you so much for doing this episode with me. Thanks, Cassie. Thank you. You've been listening to Precarious Parenting by Realisation Works. Subscribe to realisationworks.com to access more resources including monthly blogs written to be shared with younger people.